Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. If you could go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. We're moving on through our study verse by verse through the Gospel of Matthew. This, this might seem a little odd, but I really couldn't think of a better example to demonstrate the principle that I want to mention by way of introduction. So, before I say anything, I want you to watch this 30-second video. Lewis! 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 Mom! 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 Mommy! 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 Mama! 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 Ma! 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 Mom! 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 Mommy! Mommy! Mama! 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 What? Hi. <laughs> so that, that's a long way to go to say hi. So we're talking about a little bit of persistence. Persistence. And, and persistence pays off sometimes. And other times it just gets people really, really upset. And uh, in the case of our scripture today, there's way more than just persistence involved. There is a deep-rooted faith that is applied to real life. It's not just a concept. Uh, we talk about it all the time in the church. Faith trust, belief. Uh, do you believe God? Do you believe His Word? Do you have faith in God? Do you truly trust that He knows what's going on, that He can meet your needs, that He can answer your prayers, that He's walking with you through life? Do you believe all those things? Is that what faith looks like? And yeah, uh, most folks in a church setting are going to say when they answer those questions, yes, of course I believe in God. Of course I believe His Word. And, of course, I trust who He is. Okay, well, that's great. Well, what happens when you're tested on those answers? Does it work out in real life? Or is it just a good Sunday school answer? I used to joke when, when I was younger, if, you, if you're sitting in Sunday school and the teacher asks a question you don't know the answer, just say Jesus because it's probably going to be right 80% of the time. Jesus is always the right answer. And that's nice, but what do these things look like when they get put to the test? When you have unanswered questions or you have unanswered prayers or you have confusion, where's your faith? How, how strong is it? Do you still trust? Do you still believe? Do you still give the same answer? Or do you hesitate a little bit? This passage really is brief, and, and I really believe that the, the message in the eight verses we'll look at is brief, but 
man, the truth is profound. What purpose does your faith really serve if it's just a Sunday school answer? If it doesn't work in your real life, in your real issues, what good is your faith? James would ask it this way, what good is it if you say you have faith but you have no works? If there's nothing to apply that to real life, do you live it out or is it just an answer? Well, in this passage you'll see it's, it's more than just a principle. It was a way of living from a very uh, unsuspecting person. Matthew 15, beginning in verse 21, as you see the words on the screen, you can follow along if you'd like. Here's what the Bible says. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Literally in the, in the Greek New Testament, that phrase, at once, says she was healed from that hour from that moment. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your faithfulness and your righteousness. And I pray that you would develop in each of us a faith that is far more than just the right answer to a question. But that you would strengthen us to grow in our faith and our trust and our belief that it would influence the way we live our lives. So speak to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Practical faith. You've seen, I think, a glimpse of what that looks like. And so let me just give you a little bit of context. We start this passage, and after last week, Jesus had left the confines of Jerusalem. He was in Galilee, and if you recall last week, some Pharisees and these religious leaders actually left Jerusalem and followed him out to where he was just to pick a fight and lose which is what's going to happen, pick a fight with Jesus. But that's what they did. They traveled all that way just to argue and unsuccessfully. And so now Jesus is leaving from that place and he's traveling further north. And if you were to look on a map, you'd see Tyre and Sidon on the coast, kind of on the 
Mediterranean, and it's roughly, uh, I would say, less than 50 miles north is how far he went. But it was a pretty, I mean, they didn't have cars, right? So it's a good walk. It's going to take you a little while. Um, But it's, that's the direction they were going. They left Galilee for the region of Tyre and Sidon. So the scripture begins in verse 21 with this principle kind of underlying the text. Everyone has needs. Everyone has needs. And it's not just... um, well, here's a good example. It's not just people in the church. Uh, Wednesday nights, we gather over here in the fellowship hall, sit around tables, and we have a prayer list, and it's pretty extensive, and we go over prayer needs mostly, primarily, of folks in the church and their families. Uh, but every week, there's always more. It's not just... Well, this church member or this church member's brother or sister or father or mother or son or daughter. It's, uh, well, I have this coworker, and his family has this need. Or um, this person I know at school had this accident, and she's, you know, doing, she was hurt really bad. And so we're praying for her, and now she's doing much better. And so it's not just people in the church. It's people that are known by people in the church. Right? So what does that mean? Well, it means this. It doesn't mean that everybody we pray for is a Christian, much less a church attender. But does that mean we don't pray for them? Of course not. We might even pray more for them, right? Uh, Pray that they would have opened eyes and an open heart and they would uh, receive the truth of the gospel and, and, and meet Jesus, right? And then become a part of a, a church where they can grow in their relationship. So everybody has needs and it's not, it's not just confined to the body of Christ, nor should our compassion for people's needs be confined to the body of Christ. You understand what I'm saying? It's not like we put that on a sign before you come into prayer meeting. Now look, if you're going to mention a prayer request, make sure it's somebody that's in the church because you know, we're not praying for... I mean, we would never do that. That makes no sense, right? And it kind of defeats the purpose of being a Christian, if you want to be honest. So everybody has these needs. And here in this text, verse 22, a Canaanite woman. Here's a woman that comes from the region where they have traveled, and she comes out and she starts crying out. Now, understand, she's not, um, I don't have one, she's not filling out a card and turning it in and saying, could you please pray for me, I have this going on. It's not that. And she's not just walking up and having casual conversation. She is shouting. Now, what does that tell you about her? What does that tell you about the desperation of her need? If somebody's shouting because they think that this person who's just shown up in their town might be able to address this need and and minister to her and her family, she's not going to just let that opportunity just casually pass on by. She's shouting. 
She's crying out for Jesus to heal her daughter. And she's look at what she says though. She's asking Jesus to have mercy on her. But look how she addresses him. Now this is a Canaanite woman. This is not this is this is in fact probably not necessarily a Christian woman, but not a Jewish woman. This is a Gentile. But look how she's addressing Jesus. Lord, Son of David, she knows some stuff. Right? She's not your average Gentile that's just clueless. Otherwise, why would she be crying out to Jesus? But she doesn't just cry out. Um, she, she doesn't say, Teacher. She says, Lord. Lord, Son of David. Who's the Son of David? Go flip back in your Bible real quick. I'll give you time. Matthew chapter 1. Go ahead. I'll give you a second. Pastors like to hear pages rustling anyway. Makes you feel better. And if you're not flipping, then you ought to have a Bible with you. Matthew chapter 1. What do we find in Matthew chapter 1? Son of David. Genealogy. So, so you see what this woman just did? She's clued in, hey, this is not just a prophet. She called him Lord. Then she called him in, for all intents and purposes, Messiah. That's what she did. So she knows that this man right here has power and authority because he's sent from God. Messiah, Lord, Son of David. She asked Jesus to have mercy on her, but look what she says. Have mercy on me, Lord, Son of David, my daughter. So she sees mercy on, on me, my family. My daughter has a need. Have mercy on me. She didn't say have mercy on my daughter. So it's a full family affair here. She is demon-possessed. Now, the next verse is a little bit odd. It's the first half of it. He answered her not a word. Now, have you ever known... Jesus to ignore someone's need? That doesn't sound right, does it? In fact, he's just the opposite. He's like healing everybody, right? All kind of disease and, and sickness. He's healing everybody. He's preaching. He's teaching. But he did not answer her a word. So here's what it makes you wonder. Is he testing her faith? Because remember, remember this. Alright, we're reading a story. Jesus knows everything. He knows the woman. He knows the daughter. He knows the need before she opens her mouth. When she starts walking out in the street following after them, this is just my imagination, okay? I know this is not in the text. I understand that. I'm not trying to say something like that. But can't you just imagine? I, I wonder about this stuff sometimes. Can't you just imagine Jesus walking along and, and, and to himself, it's almost like he would be saying, they don't know this. There's this woman about to come out in the street and start hollering at us. Watch this. It's like, he knows. He knows she's going to do that, right? And that's just what I would be, you know, if it were me, that's what I would be saying to myself. Watch how these disciples act when this woman starts hollering. You know, because he knows what she's going to do. He knows what she needs. And so he doesn't say a word. 
and yet she has called him by some very specific names because everybody has needs. Leon Morris said that in view of the faith that this narrative shows the, that this woman possessed, she had come to accept that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. So this is a, a different type of perspective that she has relative to those in her region. So she's unique. And she's making her need known to the person that she believes can do something about it. Why do we pray? Seriously, why do we pray? Is it because we don't think anything will happen? Is it because it's a habit? Is it because we're, we feel like we're supposed to? No. We pray because we believe that God Almighty can answer and do something. We're expecting God do something. Because nobody else can do anything. You can do something. I'm going to pray to you. I'm not praying to my neighbor. I'm not praying to anybody in the church. I'm not praying to Mary. You okay? Everybody alright? I'm praying to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He alone can do something. That's why we pray. That's why this woman approached Jesus. Number two. Not only does everybody have needs, Jesus meets needs. Doesn't He? Raise your hand if Jesus has ever met any need in your life. Ever. It's not uncommon. It's not uncommon. Jesus meets people's needs. He's known for meeting people's needs. And, and yet, look at the, next, or the second half of verse 23. His disciples came imploring Him, saying, Send her away. Isn't that something? Send her away. Now, she's just come out and she has stated two things. Here's the Messiah. I'm calling Him Lord, Son of David. And have mercy on me because my daughter is possessed by a demon. That's a pretty significant need, isn't it? It's not like my ankle hurts. Uh, I've got some back pain. Nothing wrong. I mean, I'm not trying to minimize those things. I'm just saying, when you compare that to demon possession, maybe not as important, right? This woman says her daughter is possessed by a demon, and she's calling on God's Messiah to meet her need and have mercy on her. And the disciples are begging Jesus to to get rid of her. Now, call me crazy, but it would seem that the disciples just don't, they don't get it. Still, still, they don't get it. They've heard parables, they've watched healings, they've watched Jesus preach and teach. They've heard the entire Sermon on the Mount chapters ago. Still don't get it. Because here's what they're basically saying. She keeps on shouting from behind the group, and literally... The translation there, it says shouting at us, but it's from behind them. So it's almost like they're walking, she's following. Like she's not going to let it go. She's, she's sticking with them, right? Cause, and here's what she's thinking, I think. There's Jesus. So wherever he's going, I'm going. Because he's the one that can meet my need. I'm, I'm going to stay close to him. She's not concerned about the disciples. She sees Jesus, right? But the disciples are concerned more about their comfort than this woman's need. 
because they want Jesus to send her away. Now, listen to how Jesus responds to the disciples. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, is that ultimately true? Not exactly. But what he's trying to say to them at this point is, what's his primary mission? Israel. The children of God. Israel. Back to Genesis 12 and 15 and and the covenant with Abraham and uh, all, all nations of the world will be blessed through you because the father of the nation of Israel. Okay, that, that covenant that God had. He, he's primarily, initially, sent to the lost sheep of Israel. So he says that. I have sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then how does... Now remember, he says that to the disciples, right? So he says that in verse 24. But then you notice... Who responds? It's not the disciples. It's the woman. Because now, for the second time, the woman says to Jesus, Lord. She first said, Lord, Son of David, have mercy. Now she says, Lord, help me. It's almost like she steps past the disciples. and it's Alright. You know, there are times when... Folks that don't know Jesus have more insight into God than those who know Jesus. Do you know that's possible? Some folks that don't don't know Jesus yet, but they they can see it in a different perspective. And you got some folks who have sat in a pew in a church building for sixty years, but they've kind of lost track of Jesus. That's a problem. These disciples, has anybody followed closer to Jesus for these years than the twelve disciples? Nope. They're right there, everywhere he goes. But this woman seems to have a better grasp on what faith is all about than these twelve followers. Because they want her to be sent away. Jesus states to them... I'm sent first to the house of Israel. And she says, Lord, help me. You ever get so desperate? It doesn't really matter what anybody else says, does it, Carrie? Help me, Lord. I don't, I don't care what the rules are. I don't care what the regulations say. I need Jesus to help me. Maybe it's more a little bit more specific. Maybe it's in your particular situation. Well, my boss said this. I don't care what my boss says. Jesus, I need your help. The doctor says this. Well, I don't really care what the doctor says. I want to hear what Jesus has to say. Sometimes it's not as important what all the noise is. It's important what Jesus says. And that's our primary source, right? So the woman bows in worship before Jesus. Lord, help me. In fact, David Turner says Matthew likely intends the reader to view this as worship in the strongest sense of the word. Not just by attitude, not just by words, but by posture. She's bowing before who she knows is the Messiah. Lord, help me. 
I don't care what your twelve boys say. Lord, you're the one. You help me. That's where she took her need. Because Jesus meets needs. Now, before you see this last point, I just want you to be prepared for this truth. God's leftovers are better than the world's main course. Everything that comes from God's hand is better than anything the world has to offer. This woman has such a grasp on who she's talking to and the authority and the power and the ability wrapped up in who is standing in front of her. She's bowed down to the ground worshiping. Are are the disciples bowed down right here? No. No, they're just walking with Him, trying to pay attention and failing miserably. Meanwhile, this Canaanite woman has called Him Lord twice, Son of David once, and bows before Him, worshiping, begging for mercy and help. And so Jesus, I, I just I can't, I can't fully understand. I'm trying to put myself in the mind of, of Christ right here, and it's just it's so interesting to try to think what He might have been thinking during this time, because He knows... You know, he, he knows what's happening. He knows what's going to happen. But as she is bowed before him, pleading with him, Jesus restated his purpose yet again. And, and look what he says in verse 26. It's not good or, or even um, proper. It's not good or proper to take the children's bread. Who, who are the children? Israel, to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Who are the dogs? Gentiles. Okay, so this is a, a clear statement of Jew versus Gentile. And so he says, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So he's restating, uh, in other words, don't take what's meant for Israel and give it to the Gentiles, at least yet. And so Turner says again, I'll quote him, Jews come first in Jesus' ministry, yet he can also be compassionate to Gentiles once the children have been fed. You know, did you know, this is a a really, this is, oh, this is good. This is a nice comparison for the church. Did you know what the primary purpose of this, this time right here, this hour and change, on Sunday mornings, you know what the primary... Who, let me say it this way. Who, who is the primary audience for this gathering? Christians. This is a gathering of the church. Now, does that mean that there are no non-Christians in the room? Well, of course not. Of course not. But what is, what is this gathering? It's for believers in Jesus to gather for worship, to sing praises to the Most High, to pray and enlist His uh, influence and in, uh, His involvement in, in our lives, and to give to support His ministry, and to hear the Word preached and taught, and to, to live by it, to, to try to live by the Word. That's, it's for Christians to grow in fellowship and faith. But 
there's always people who are not Christians that attend worship gatherings. Now, a whole movement in the contemporary church history was focused on everybody except the people who the gathering was designed for. It was called the, the seeker movement. And, and, and churches would try to be this, this term, seeker-sensitive. So they would design their gatherings specifically for those who were not yet part of the church. This is where the rise of much of contemporary Christian music came from. This is why you see a lot of uh, church gatherings where they, the lights are much lower. Right? The walls are not bright. They, 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 got, they, got more, they got more money in lights and sound and projection than they have in the building. And, and, and when you walk in, and they got fog machines. And, and, and when you walk in, man, it is something. I mean, it is very... And I'm not saying it's not good. I'm not saying that. Please don't hear me say that. In fact, it is done, typically, they are, they are done with a very high level of excellence, quality. But, what's the emphasis? Let me see, yeah, that's right, that's right. What's, let me see if I can make non-Christian folks more comfortable in a gathering that's designed for Christians. So then it's no longer designed for Christians. Right? So that's a whole different discussion. We're not going to get into that right now. That, that's a whole conversation. Right? But the point is, the, the whole focus of our gathering is primarily Jesus. I want to I wanna sing... Praises to Jesus. I want to pray to Jesus. I want to give to Jesus through the church. I want to open the word that Jesus spoke. And I want to hear it and understand it. And then I want to obey it. It's, and it's all about Jesus. Every, every, from start to finish. That's what the church experience, if you want to call it that, that's what it's supposed to be. I am following Jesus. So I show up on Sunday with a bunch of other people who are following Jesus so we can follow Jesus more closely. Better. Together, right? And so, Jesus is making that point. Don't take what's meant for Israel, give it to the Gentiles. And then the woman responds and says, even dogs eat the crumbs that fall off the master's table. You know what she just said? She said, basically, I know. I get what you're saying. I'm not trying to take... I'm not trying to take priority listen to this listen to this this woman looked up to Jesus she's bowed on the ground I'm not trying to take priority I just know you got more than enough that was good right there that was really good I was excited to hear myself say that Jesus has got more than enough for everybody He's got more than enough for His people. He's got more than enough for the world. The Gospel is enough for everybody. 
And so, so why aren't we, why aren't we giving it away? We got more than enough. We got more than enough Jesus to give some to everybody. We ought to be giving more of Him away. And look at the response that Jesus gives this woman. It's almost like, I, I, wish, I wish I could have seen it because I bet Jesus was excited to get to this point because He knew what He was about to do and say. And whenever she said, I know Jesus, I know you're, you're meant for Israel first, but you got crumbs falling off the table. Can't I have those? That would be more than I, than I need right there. And He says, Woman, <laughs> I love it. Oh, woman, your faith is great. Now, at this point, this poor Canaanite woman has more faith than these twelve disciples that have been walking with Jesus for more than two years. That's right. That's right. And you know what, Carrie? It's almost like you can, you can be around Jesus, but Jesus may not be in you. You can be close by, but you may not know Him. How long you got to be in His presence before you get a hold of Him? He's, he's, he's trying, and it's not like He's trying like He can't do it, but he's, He is making Himself available. And, and if you don't have Jesus, it's not because He's not made it available and clear. It's, listen, if you don't have Jesus, it's probably just because you don't want Him. You know? Jesus has made it clear. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to change your life. And, and if you don't want that, He's not pushy. And if you say no, He'll... Okay. Well, you, you just try it on your own. Let me know how that works for you. This woman's faith was great. And so Jesus granted her request. He said, it's going to be done for you like you wish. And so he exactly how she pleaded for mercy and asked for help, she got what she wanted. Because she demonstrated that her faith was not just the answer to a question. It was real. Her belief, her trust in Jesus the Messiah was not just a, a statement to be made. She called Him, in, in these eight verses, she called Him Lord three times. And you know what's funny? When the disciples, and this is just what Matthew recorded, we don't know for sure, but this is what Matthew recorded. In verse 23, this woman called Him Lord three times. When the disciples spoke up, they didn't call Him Lord, they just asked Him to send her away. They didn't call him Lord one time, at least not in this, in this text. So the woman's daughter was healed from that hour, that moment. He didn't have to be there. He never. Jesus, look at this. Jesus never laid eyes on that daughter, but she was healed at that moment. Isn't that something? Is there anything too impossible for Jesus? Is there anything too difficult for him? No, not a thing. Not a thing. Everybody's got needs and Jesus meets needs. And God's leftovers are better than the world's main course. Now I want to show you something about crumbs that fall from the Master's table. 
take a look at this picture. Now, if you can't see it real well, that is me sitting at my kitchen table holding my phone like this to take a picture of my dog as I'm sitting. He has come up behind me and stuck his nose right up under my arm right here, and I'm holding some food in this hand. And he, he stuck as he does this all the time. He sticks he doesn't just sit by, he sticks his head right there, like nestled up nestled up against me. And and he's just looking at me like that. It's all pitiful. You'd think we never fed the dog. We feed him all the time. But you know what he you know what he knows? You know what he's communicating in that picture? It's like I know I know there's other food out here. But my food's not as good as your food. Do you see the the expectation in his face? You can't see his face really. You can't see his eyes because his hair is all over his eyes. But if you could if you you know, when I look down right here and I see him, here's what I see. I see a look of hope and expectation and I also see a look of confidence because he knows you're going to give me some food aren't you he, he knows but let me just tell you this whenever it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how little it is it doesn't matter what it is he just knows who it came from. You see what I'm saying? Oh, that a Christian would be so excited to just get a little bit of Jesus. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how much it is. Everything that comes from the hand of God is good. My, my dog knows that. My dog knows that it doesn't matter what I've got in my hand. If it's coming from my hand, it's going to be good. And that's how our Lord treats His children. It's good. If it's coming from His hand, it's good. I wish we would get excited to get something from His hand. Let's pray. listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.